Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. Today, important questions about potential heart concerns with COVID-19 vaccines, including in young people. This coming weekend on Full Measure, it being a holiday, we are rerunning our investigation into Title IX changes. A lot of people didn't know something pretty important was going on with Title IX in American colleges, largely unreported, had to do with rules dictating how sexual assault claims must be handled on college campuses. A lot of people agreed that the old policies were not working. People on both sides thought so. But there's a serious divide on the new approach that's being taken, and we examine that on full measure, Sunday, May 30th. But I thought today for the podcast, we would talk about another really important issue. We've been covering a lot of stories about COVID-19, and it seems like there is new news out almost every day about coronavirus, about the vaccines, and so on. Well, there is new information out, new scientific information from the Centers for Disease Control just in the past couple of days that means every one of the experimental COVID-19 vaccines approved for use here in the United States, every one of them has now been associated with possible rare side effects involving heart issues. And this is really a public relations challenge for CDC this disclosure that heart inflammation has hit some teens and young people after COVID-19 vaccination. The form of heart inflammation is known as myocarditis. The news of this potential heart-related concern with the Pfizer and Moderna RNA vaccines, the one that come with two doses, the news comes on the heels of blood clot worries already linked to the single-dose Johnson & Johnson vaccine approved in the U.S., So at a May 17th meeting of CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, scientists on this committee that's called ACIP, there were several presentations about myocarditis, this heart inflammation, following the RNA vaccines. Myocarditis can weaken the heart and cause the formation of deadly blood clots. Now, the report on CDC's website didn't say how many cases have been reported, and it characterized the cases as mild and relatively few. I think I saw a report thereafter that said something like 18 cases were reported. Typically, um, it's considered that there are many more cases occurring in the general population than they catch with surveillance because not all cases are caught. On the other hand, I believe CDC and various programs are surveilling for side effects after these vaccines more closely than other medicines because of the experimental nature of the vaccines. When drugs like this are approved for use 
without having gone through the normal tests and processes, they are in essence being tested on the general population in real time. And that means scientists know there will be side effects and adverse events that were not seen in the fairly limited studies. But concern was apparently expressed at this meeting, the ACIP meeting at CDC, by representatives from the Department of Defense, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, a federal system online where people can report potential adverse events after vaccination, the Vaccine Safety Data Link, the Veterans Administration, and the Clinical Immunization Safety Assessment. All of these programs had representatives who gave presentations or updates on this myocarditis in young people at the most recent meeting. Now, according to CDC, these reports of heart inflammation occurred predominantly in adolescents and young adults, more often in men than women or males and females, more often following dose two than dose one, and they typically happened within about four days after vaccination. A common misconception, I think, among a lot of patients is that vaccine adverse events happen right away, the same day or the next day. Some vaccine adverse events, according to scientists, occur weeks months and sometimes aren't even recognized until years down the road, believe it or not. And it's often hard to know and hard to prove whether something that happens after vaccination was caused by the vaccination or perhaps triggered by the vaccination, something that might have occurred naturally or been latent, but then was triggered by vaccination or was completely unrelated to the vaccination. Most often you will hear CDC, which usually marches in lockstep with the pharmaceutical industry, the vaccine industry, Most often you will hear them say that side effects or illnesses that occur after vaccination are coincidental and they usually make the case for they are happening as often in those who are vaccinated as those in the unvaccinated general population. I think they said that recently with reports of hearing loss that scientists are said to be watching after COVID-19 vaccination. Usually when something is reported like that, you will see a statement that says, but... We don't know if this is occurring more often in people who are vaccinated than not. In fact, maybe it's even occurring less often in people who are vaccinated. And we don't know if it's causal or related at all. And even if it is, they then usually say that the benefit of vaccination far outweighs the risk. So that's typically what you will hear. You may remember the case pretty early on of the Miami Beach doctor, Gregory Michael, He was a 56-year-old OBGYN who died suddenly about two weeks after he got COVID-19 vaccine. His family said that he was perfectly healthy before the vaccine on December 18th, the Pfizer vaccine, but then he died of severe thrombocytopenia, which is a condition that decreases the body's ability to clot blood and stop internal bleeding, so a blood-related disorder. And of course, immediately people suspected perhaps it was related to the COVID-19 vaccine. It was investigated by CDC. I think they all concluded this was just a natural death, just a coincidence. Maybe it was. But the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, you may recall, was temporarily removed from the market here in the U.S. a little bit earlier this year, while health officials studied reports of blood clot injuries that could be related to the J&J vaccine. Among them was an 18-year-old teenager named Emma Berkey. According to her family and news reports, Emma suffered a severe reaction about 10 days after receiving 
the Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine that was back on March 20th. Her symptoms were said to include blood clots in the brain and seizures. She was hospitalized. She had to undergo three brain surgeries. In this instance, public health officials seem to acknowledge the vaccine was likely or even definitely to blame. Another thing you'll often see as officials sort out side effects with medicine and vaccines is CDC or federal officials and public health officials will often say something like it's one in a million or, you know, very rare. I saw one report that said it was one in a million in terms of what happened to Emma Berkey. I saw a second report that said it was more like five in a million. And of course, the reality is that remains to be seen. A lot of this is emerging information. When use of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine resumed after these reports of blood clot injuries were examined, it was accompanied by a new warning about potential blood clots. And that was omitted from a lot of the reporting that I saw. A lot of the reporting just said that the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine was put back on the market, but didn't mention that there were new warnings about blood clots. Some of them almost implied that the blood clot concerns had been cast aside or disproven, and that wasn't the case. Also, in Europe, the European Medicines Agency has concluded that blood clots combined with low levels of blood platelets are also a rare side effect of the AstraZeneca vaccine. That vaccine is not currently approved for use in the United States, but the European group said that it carried out an in-depth review of 62 cases of cerebral venous sinus thrombosis and 24 cases of splanchnik vein thrombosis reported in the European Union Drug Safety Database as of March 22nd. 18 of those cases were fatal, according to the European Medicines Agency. The Israeli Ministry of Health also announced that it is monitoring for heart inflammation after Pfizer's vaccine due to some cases being reported there. Now, I mentioned that even when there are investigations about side effects, CDC will typically say that the benefit of the vaccine outweighs the risks, but there's a slightly different calculation, according to scientists, when it comes to risk versus benefit for young people and the COVID-19 vaccine. More on that right after a short break. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We're back. We're talking about a new potential side effect reported after COVID-19 vaccines, the RNA vaccines, which are the two-shot series here in the United States. And I talked about that there's a calculation done, risk versus benefit. Typically, public health officials will say with most any medicine or vaccine, when a side effect is identified, that the benefit of the vaccine or the medicine outweighs the risk. But in this case, there is a slightly different calculation according to some scientists when we're talking about young people and COVID-19 vaccine. It's pretty controversial 
because scientists say the vast majority of children and young people fight off COVID-19 without having any symptoms at all and then are presumed to be immune. Not very many of them get sick. And among the rare few that do get sick, very few are hospitalized or get seriously ill, and they typically recover. So some scientists have said there is no need or no reason to expose them to an experimental vaccine for a disease that is more survivable to them than is the flu, according to scientists. So another argument given by the vaccine industry and CDC is, well, we need to inoculate young people even if they don't need the vaccine because they could carry COVID-19 to other people. And so it's to protect others. But again, that's sort of controversial because many scientists have said that the evidence shows young people are not routinely transmitting COVID-19 infection to others. They are not carriers, or at least carriers to the extent that they're making other people infectious and concerning numbers, again, according to some scientists. So these findings have led to very robust debate as to whether young people should take the risk of getting an experimental vaccine in the first place. All of this discussion reminded me a little bit of one of the first vaccination stories I was assigned to cover many years ago at CBS News. I knew nothing about vaccination, the vaccine industry, and so on, but there were plans to restart the smallpox vaccination program in the United States back in 2002, after the 9-11 Islamic extremist terrorist attacks. Why? Well, there was some concern there could be a bioweapons attack with smallpox, a very deadly disease, very concerning, far more so, according to scientists, for the general population than COVID-19. But this plan to restart smallpox vaccination because of these concerns, the plans were scuttled after reports about serious side effects. This went on over a period of a couple of months as they were testing the smallpox vaccine first in early responders and in military troops. CDC finally ultimately said there were, quote, a few people who developed heart inflammation, myocarditis, inflammation of the lining of the heart, pericarditis, or a combination of both after smallpox vaccine, myopericarditis. There were at least 11 cases of the unusual heart inflammation reported among military troops who were getting the smallpox vaccine and at least three civilian deaths under investigation at the time. Again, sounds like a very tiny number as CDC and the vaccine industry and public health officials often do. They say, you know, these are a few cases among many, many people getting the vaccine, but nonetheless, sometimes just a relative few reported and detected cases of something very serious have an impact on whether Scientists ultimately decide a medicine or a vaccine is safe enough to use in the general population. And way back then, covering this in the 2002-2003 time period, I started to first learn how tricky information can be, how tricky the reporting of adverse events, how those who do not want them counted can take steps to obscure them or ignore them. In fact, you may remember if you've been around a while, there was an NBC News reporter named David Bloom, who was an acquaintance of mine. He was 39 years old when he was embedding in the 2003 time period with the military after 9-11, and he died of an apparent blood clot. Remember they said he had been traveling in a tank and had gotten kind of cramped up, and sometimes that can cause blood clots. Well, not typically, not typically in 39-year-old people. And remember what I said, there are people that have some sort of biological or genetic predisposition to certain conditions that could be triggered, according to scientists, 
by a vaccine. They may have some sort of hidden propensity that they wouldn't even know about, but something about certain vaccinations or medicines can bring it forward. Well, it turns out I looked into it and found, as I suspected, that Bloom had recently received the anthrax and smallpox vaccinations in 2003 as part of his in-bed with the U.S. military. So technically, his death a short time later should have been and was required to be reported to the Vaccine Adverse Event Database. When reports are made to this federal database, it doesn't mean there's proof that the adverse event or illness or death was definitively linked to the medicine or the vaccine, but this is the way that scientists can find that out. They don't know if there's an association unless enough of the population gets the vaccine or the medicine and this kind of an adverse event occurs in what they think is an abnormal number. Then they can tell maybe something they didn't pick up in studies is an actual serious adverse event. So this stuff has to be reported. Well, anyway, I discovered as part of my reporting that nobody had properly recorded or reported David Bloom's death after vaccination as a potential vaccine-related adverse event. After my reporting on all of this, a federal advisor that was sitting on a committee watching over everything did add Bloom's death to the database for consideration. And he acknowledged that either civilian authorities or the military or both should have reported Bloom's death and had not. Now, in the end, to be clear, I believe it was officially concluded that David Bloom's cause of death was perhaps due to some sort of genetic anomaly or condition and not related to vaccination. But of course, there are other scientists who point out there's no real way to know that. And sometimes deaths and adverse events that are explained other ways are in fact related to the medicine or vaccine. But in any event, the COVID-19 vaccines are by admission, by the federal government, experimental in nature, approved without the normal processes and testing for emergency use because they're so important. And so they are being tested on us, the human population, in real time with new safety data emerging as more and more people get the shots and more time passes. And as usual, I think you will hear most public health officials say that the risks that come with getting the COVID-19 are greater than the risks that could come with the COVID-19 vaccines. We talked about the risk-benefit calculation, but in general, public health officials are going to tell you that it's better to get the vaccine and take some chance with that than to get COVID-19. Meantime, that CDC Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, they're closely monitoring for any kind of emerging adverse events showing up in the general population after COVID-19 vaccine. But I will point out, as we reported on Full Measure, the CDC group's credibility, this advisory committee, took a big hit earlier this year when it was revealed that the entire vaccine scientific safety team had signed off on false information about what studies showed about COVID-19 vaccine effectiveness in people who'd already had COVID-19. The advisory committee signed a paper that incorrectly claimed studies showed COVID-19 vaccines are effective in people who've already had COVID-19. In fact, the studies show that the opposite was true. And as I reported, this discovery was made originally by Representative Thomas Massey, a congressman from Kentucky. And when he flagged the false information directly with CDC, top officials at CDC and scientists admitted the error to him and promised a correction, but 
continue to disseminate the false information on its website and to medical professionals continuing to claim falsely that studies had shown COVID-19 vaccine was effective in people who'd already had COVID-19. Eventually, when CDC did make sort of a correction to their publication on this, the correction was worded in such a weird and confusing way that it seemed to double down on the original mistake. So when it comes to blood clots, according to Yale Medicine, I got a list of some of the early symptoms that they say requires medical consultation. If you have any of the following, severe headache, backache, new neurologic symptoms, severe abdominal pain, shortness of breath, leg swelling, tiny red spots on the skin, or new or easy bruising. They say that's possibly the sign of a blood clot and something that you should seek medical attention immediately for. As always, consult with your physician about your personal case. There is no one-size-fits-all recommendation when it comes to medicine and vaccines. CDC says not everybody can get every vaccine. Some people, for medical reasons, are excluded from being able to get some vaccines or take some medicines. You can go to cdc.gov and read all the latest information on the Vaccine Safety Working Group, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. They did not make this latest advisory about the heart inflammation easy to find. When I've tried before on the FDA website and CDC website, you'd think you could just go there and put in the search bar heart inflammation or myocarditis or even look at their latest guidance or news releases. Well, it doesn't show up in any of those places. And I even ended up searching under ACIP, Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, ACIP, that should take you there. And it takes you to a page that says COVID-19 vaccination recommendations. So you'd think that might be it. But if you click into that, nope, it's not there either. The last thing appearing on that page is from May 14th. And it simply says that the Pfizer Biotech COVID-19 vaccine is now approved for adolescents ages 12 to 15. Nothing about the myocarditis. So then I clicked on ACIP meeting information since this was disseminated at the last meeting. Nope, nothing there. That's just telling about technical procedures of their meetings. So then I clicked on ACIP work groups, thinking, okay, this is maybe going to lead us to the working group on COVID-19 vaccine. And you get a list there when you click in to COVID-19 Vaccine Safety Technical Work Group. Hey, we're getting closer, I would think. So I click into there and nope, nothing. It just gives a definition of the Vaccine Safety Technical Work Group and it tells who leads the committee. So then I went back and clicked ACIP recommendations because surely this new information on young people and heart inflammation would be included there because they did make some recommendations to continue to monitor. Click over to that. Nope, nothing there either that tells you about the heart inflammation. In fact, I clicked and clicked and clicked and could not find a way to get to CDC's information on this really important issue. I clicked safety of COVID-19 vaccines. You would think it would be there, but the only thing there says millions of people have safely received COVID-19 vaccine and that they're safe and effective. Nothing about the potential heart concerns in young people. And finally, I thought for certain this would turn it up 
on the CDC website, I searched under the exact name that I knew this report was called that talked about the youth heart issues. It was called COVID-19 VAST Work Group Technical Report, May 17th, 2021. So I searched for that and nothing came up on the CDC website relevant to the issue at hand. Now, don't you think this ought to be on the homepage or at least on the landing page for COVID-19 vaccine safety? Well, I'll tell you how you can find it. If you go outside of the CDC website and go to DuckDuckGo and search under COVID-19 VAST VAST Work Group Technical Report, May 17th, 2021, probably any combination of that group of words, it finally comes up, not on a search on the CDC website, but on a more generic search. Now, once you get there, the information is fairly scant on this particular issue we've been talking about today. But what you can see is past reports you can click into by date. And there are some interesting slides and documents and information from past meetings you might find of interest. I hope this information has been helpful. We all hope that the COVID-19 vaccines prove safe and effective for all the people who want to take them and that it becomes a big reason that we can say goodbye to COVID-19 here in the United States. And at the same time, we have to be mindful and careful of the fact that we're using an experimental medicine, testing it on millions and millions of people, and we have to keep an eye on that too. The news as we once knew it no longer exists. It's become a product molded and shaped to suit the narrative. Facts that don't fit are omitted. Off-narrative people and views are controversialized or neatly deposited down the memory hole. My new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism, is filled with important context regarding the death of the news as we once knew it. Pick up your copy of Slanted today. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that you will subscribe to Full Measure After Hours. Also, my other podcast, the Cheryl Ackeson podcast. And I hope you'll check out my recent USA Today bestseller, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. I think you'll find Slanted explains a lot about what's happening to our information landscape today with the efforts to censor so much information online and on social media. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.